0: This is episode 271, your Philadelphia Marathon course overview with race director Kathleen Titus. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode is your course guide to the Philadelphia Marathon featuring race director Kathleen Titus. We're exploring the course itself, the morning logistics, post-race fueling in the athlete oval, and how to get the most from your experience in Philadelphia. If you're new here, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. Because if you better understand the process of improvement when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning. And you can find me on Instagram at jasonfitz1. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world, no matter how fast they are, with our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and our suite of training programs to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. Learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. We're supported by Mellon, a premium hat brand that I've been eyeing for a long time on Instagram, and now I'm thrilled that we've partnered together. Get 20% off your first order at melon.com strengthrunning with code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout. Get yourself the last hat you'll ever need with the most durable, water-repellent, and stylish hat I've ever worn. That's M-E-L-I-N.com slash strengthrunning and use code STRENGTHRUNNING for 20% off. We're also supported by the best electrolyte company out there, Element. I brought Element recently to a group run and folks were thrilled to try it. You can prevent the symptoms of electrolyte imbalances like headaches, cramps, fatigue, and weakness with Element. And they're offering you a free gift with your purchase, at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. They'll send you a sample pack with one packet of each flavor so you can try them out before committing. That's drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to claim your free gift. Our guest today is the race director of the Philadelphia Marathon, Kathleen Titus. I had the pleasure of meeting Kathleen last summer at the Endeavor Run Boulder Retreat, and I'm excited to bring her energy to you today. Kathleen owns All Fitness Events, a digital marketing and consulting firm that primarily focuses on endurance races. And as the race director for the Philadelphia Marathon, she has extensive hands-on experience directing one of the biggest marathons in the United States. And the Philly Marathon is very special to me. It's the home of my personal best of 239 and a course that I just enjoyed very much. We're going over everything you need to know to have a successful race, morning logistics, how to segment the race, the most challenging aspects of the Philadelphia Marathon, the new course over the last couple years, post-race logistics in the athlete oval, transportation considerations, how to pace yourself on this particular course, and more. I hope this deep dive into the Philadelphia Marathon helps your upcoming race. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Kathleen Titus. Hey, Kathleen, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you about the Philadelphia Marathon.
1: Hey, Jason, good to be here. Excited to chat with you as well.
0: Yeah, so this was actually such a surprise for me because we met just a couple months ago at Endeavor Run's Boulder Retreat, and I wish we had a little bit more time to connect at the retreat, but uh, it was a little surprising to hear that the race director for the Philadelphia Marathon was there at the retreat, hanging out with us, going on our crazy trail runs and doing a long run up at Mags. And it was so great to have you.
1: Oh, it was great to be there. You know, it's always good to be amongst your peers. So to get a chance to participate, come out with some of the other coaches, other, the athletes to be around like-minded people and Boulder's gorgeous. So it was just an amazing time to be there amongst, you know, fellow runners doing what we love to do, hanging out and running.
0: (laughs) That's right. And you can't go wrong with Boulder. No, not at all. Now we're talking about the Philly Marathon, which has a really special place in, in my heart because my marathon personal best, my all-time fastest time, is from the Philadelphia Marathon back in 2011. So uh, I know the old course really well, and I understand that in the last couple years we've changed the course, and it's it's this new course. Um, we were talking a little bit offline, and you think it's a better course. It's a little bit faster a lot of PRs have been run now on this new course. So I'm excited to get into this with you. And, you know, I also think the Philadelphia Marathon is such a great race because it has all of the amenities and the, the execution of a huge marathon, but it's a little bit smaller and a little bit more accessible. And I just found that to be one of the best possible combinations as a runner because I got... You know, the the amazing course, all those amenities, you guys put on such a good show. But at the same time, you know, it wasn't the logistical nightmare of running the New York City Marathon or the Boston Marathon, for example, where, you know, just getting to the starting line is is quite the adventure, <laughs> almost as much as the marathon itself.
1: Yeah, yeah. We try to keep it simple. Philadelphia itself was always built built on a grid program. So it is very easy to navigate. It's kind of everything's in a square. You either make a right or a left hand turn. Uh, but we do have a lot of hotels that are in walking proximity to the race. I mean, you're talking, there's over 15 hotels that are less than a mile away. So quite accessible for our event, uh, which gets 15,000 marathoners, 15,000 half marathoners, 5,000 8Kers. Yet yeah, we can still accommodate everybody between parking if they're local and want to pull in, or if they're staying at a hotel, kind of roll out of bed and make, make your way there. We do tell everybody though, get there early. You just can't roll out of bed and show up and get through security, <laughs> yeah. but it's very accessible to and from and. You start and finish in the same proximity. So that is nice just to pick up your gear and be able to head right back to wherever you need to go after, after you're finished and complete it with your successful event.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I always like to say I'm a man of convenience and the fact that the race ends and finishes uh, or sorry, ends and starts roughly in the same place is, is logistically very simple. Um, the only trouble I had was walking down the steps to get onto a train. That, that was the challenging part after the race. My legs weren't working too hard or too well. But well,
1: the reward. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. So I want to do a pretty thorough deep dive of the Philadelphia Marathon experience and talk about the course and the morning of the race and how runners can really get the most out of racing the Philly Marathon. Could you walk us through the morning of the race? You know, what's the best way of getting to the starting area? What should folks understand when they're trying to plan the morning of a a major marathon? Because I know that can be a very stressful time. And some races have very specific requirements or logistics of getting to that starting area, of getting a bag there, and all those little details.
1: Sure. Um, And we are one that has a runner festival Feeling So it's like a little Olympic village. We started build out on Monday. It takes up what we call Eakins Oval. It sits right in front of the Philadelphia Museum of Art. So if you look up at a map and you see the Philadelphia Museum of Art, you'll see Eakins Oval kind of looks like a pork chop. That's how we like to refer to it. Uh, but that whole area is secure. So the amount of, we have six entrances that are everything is barricaded off and runners do have different at- entry points to come in. So we do tell everybody, be mindful, you have to get through security, but everything is magnetometers, so it's pretty easy to get through. Um, You can park, you can easily walk down. We have shuttle transportation as well for those staying at hotels uh, to come in. Mass transportation is quite easy. Again, this is essentially a located place for the race in the heart of the city center, where some races start on the outskirts. So the modes of transportation between bus, train, car, uh lyft uber you can use pretty much any method to get there but we tell everybody take a look at the map that they get in the race guide ahead of time take a look at that area so that they know from which direction they're coming from are they coming from the north are they coming from the south east a lot of roads are closed off so they want to make sure that they can get in um, with ease but again we have so much parking around there and the hotels are quite walkable And just say do your homework like any other race like you look and say okay How far is it? And what's the best entrance for me to go into? Because we do have multiple ports of entry.
0: Yeah, when I ran the race in 2011, the starting area was still the same starting area. And I actually had some family drop me off just a couple minutes uh, worth of a walk away from the starting line. And I was so surprised at how easy it was to get there that someone could just drive that close. And so it it is a much simpler starting situation than you might find at, at another major marathon. Um, Now, it is a little bit smaller than some other races, but what's the energy like before the race? And and maybe, like, how does it compare to, say, the Athletes Village at the Boston Marathon or when you're bussed over to Staten Island before the New York City Marathon? You know, what's the scene like right before the race? What's the energy like there?
1: I would say the energy is extremely high. So the space fits the number of runners. And it really comes down to making sure that space fits. And when you kind of get everybody contained in one area and you take 15,000 people, you don't know the difference between 15,000 or 40,000. Uh, you really don't tell, can't tell that difference because you're in your corral, you're in your spacing. And just like New York, Boston and all the other races, when you're in there, it's sized to that number of capacity. So you feel that energy. You see the runners coming around. We have commentators that are up on stage. We have professional athletes this year. It's Jarrett Ward and Alephine Tulamuk. Uh, Bart Yasso is there. They're revving up the crowd. There's opportunities to take pictures, but the village is really set up like an Olympic village where you come in, you you have warming tents to get ready. You have your gear drop area. Everything is in close proximity. So it's not like you feel like you need to walk 10 or 15 blocks to go drop your gear or put it on a bus and come back. It's kind of drop, turn around and you'll see people stretching. So again, a very exciting energy around the the start of the race. We do have VIP tents that people paid to purchase marathon day that sold out because there's, it's heated tents, gear check, um, all the perks of after, you know, after your race nutrition, uh, and people come in there as early as 5.00 AM. So we do find a lot of runners come take advantage. We have massive heating tents that people can come into ahead of time, uh, get ready and then head into their corrals, but it's got a great vibe. You wouldn't notice the difference until it's the after everybody is gone, you're like, okay, we're done. (laughs) Where some some races, it's like, how many hours for this to take place uh, to finish and clear the start shoot? You know, we're about 45 minutes to clear our start line.
0: I got to say the heated tents is an absolute game changer for, you know, a November marathon, because I remember running New York City, and they did not have heated tents. And so I spent a solid half an hour in a, a very clean, but still porta potty, just to save myself from the wind and and get a couple extra degrees warmer in there. Um, and, and I don't regret doing it, even though it's kind of like the weirdest marathon story. But um, heated tents would have been much more preferable to a porta potty at that time.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I've done that too. I've done that, even changing. I'm like, I'm going in here. It's warmer.
0: <laughs> now, we have briefly mentioned the fact that the course this year and also in a couple prior years is different than it had been previously. Can you walk us through some of the the differences in how the course is structured these days compared with how it was before the 2019 race?
1: Sure. So not a ton has changed just the back half. So anybody that's familiar with our race, or even if you're not familiar, the first 13 miles are pretty much in city center. So you do start at the art museum and you head east to what we call our Penn's Landing. You go through our historic district. You go through Chinatown. You see the, all these iconic points before you make your, your way west to what we call our university city and then into Fairmount Park, which is 10 times larger than New York's uh, Fair, or Central Park. So it's a large park area. This, it, last year, we had to make two modifications. And one of them was, again, this is a grid city. We have two major streets, Chestnut Street and Walnut Street. Walnut Street runs along our beautiful Washington Square as well as Rittenhouse Square, Um, the course change actually makes it a lot nicer because you were going onto Chestnut Street, then turning onto Walnut, then turning back to Chestnut, then turning back to Walnut. We were able to create a a clear shot. We were able to um, change some things to make that happen, but it's a nice, smooth course all the way out. And then the back end, what we omitted and eliminated was it's probably the biggest piece is the spectator because you would run in front of the art museum again where you started right around that halfway mark. So a lot of families love to see their, fa- their, you know, their family and everyone there. But as you and I talk, it's a teaser because you're halfway through the marathon and there's the finish and you got to keep going. <laughs> uh, so we actually kind of did a little bit of an elevation change. Um, again, our elevation is negative. It's up 200, down 200 total. So, you know, when you look at it overall, it's pretty much a flat course. But we did make some changes on the back half to allow for the bridge that is out that would take you in front of that art museum. Again, it puts you over a different bridge. It still takes you through the beautiful Fairmount Park. It just loops you down um, on the Kelly Drive side that you would normally come back and return on. So a little bit different of a structure. We heard great things about it. Again, some people said that one hill was a little bit more difficult. And when I say a hill, it's, it's nothing that is straight up. It, it's a gradual, it goes up, it's a hill, but you come down it. But when I see our push from athletes, our wheelchair athletes saying, I PR'd, um, like hardest hill ever, but I PR, you know, a, a male, female, they were all PR. So we know that it's a quick course. Um, I've run it being a runner. So, you know, when anybody says who created this course, yep, a crazy runner created it, uh, course certifier too. So uh, I didn't certify it, but you know, all those things come into play when we're trying to figure out, okay, we've got to change a course, how can we modify it uh, to make it conducive and exciting for athletes?
0: Is the elevation uh, net elevation change the same with prior courses? Or, or is it about the or different?
1: It's, it's a little different, but it's about the same. Okay. And it's really around that where I, where I said we had to make the modification change, it's a 100 foot gain. And then you come down. <laughs> so right around mile 10, you start to go up. Um, mile 11, you're, you're you know, you're on the back end, you're up 12 comes down a little bit, but not much to allow you to go 13, 14, 15, and then it's down. So it's not like you're going straight up and then coming right back down. Like you gradually go up, you sustain that for a while. And then right between before miles 16, you drop back down and then it's all under a hundred feet. You go maybe 50, 30. And if anybody does their runs and looks at their elevation gain, I mean, that's nothing.
0: Does the race have any particular COVID precautions this year that runners should be aware of as they're, you know, making their way to the starting line, planning their morning?
1: Um, At this time, you know, we're, we're abiding by what everybody says. Feel comfortable. If you, you know, wear a mask, if you want to wear a mask. We did drop our vaccination policy. We do request that everybody be vaccinated. But up until about a month ago, that was part of our mandate. Uh, So most of our runners will be vaccinated. We, you know, ask and appreciate if runners are again for the safety of everyone. There's been some events that happen where there's been some issues, but, you know, we advise wearing masks, we advise social distancing, but again, there's nothing that's mandatory that any of the runners need to do. It's just being smart. As long as everybody's smart about it, you know, takes their own precautions, then, you know, that's all that we're asking for.
0: Got it. Now, okay, so the course is a little bit different this year. When the gun goes off, from a very broad perspective, how do you think about the Philadelphia Marathon course? Do you consider it a fast course? Do you consider it a a flat course? You know, how would you broadly describe the course in general?
1: I'll say it's a top Boston qualifier course. So that'll tell you that the speed, it definitely has speed. That's good Um, to know. I actually thought we were close to getting a 201 men's marathon time last year um, extremely fast. So our, and again, when you're doing it, when you're going out in the start of our marathon, it's flat, but some downhill, and it's pretty much pancake flat for the good seven miles First seven miles. So you're kind of booking. And I tell everybody, watch your pace there because it's very easy to go out and get consumed, feel the energy. The streets are lined. Those seven miles are packed with people. Again, you can start our race and hit mile one, And then somebody can walk three blocks and see you at mile six. Somebody can walk five blocks and see you at mile five. Like it's just so easy to navigate that you're, you have the ability to see family and friends. So there are a lot of people that move through the city to get to see loved ones a few times before they head out to the back half of the course. So a lot of energy, our half marathon is pretty much wall to wall people um, for the first eight, almost nine miles.
0: Yeah. What I discovered when I raced it was that, um, Exactly that. And I know the first half hasn't really changed. And it was that first opening five miles or so from my memory that was flat, it was fast, and it was also very supportive in terms of the crowds, you know, they were there lining the streets. But at the same time, I didn't find it as overwhelming as say, New York City, where I kind of just felt yelled at for, you know, two hours and 45 minutes of my race, and, and it was a little bit too much. It was just a little, you know, I want that for the mile. I want that when I'm on the track racing 800 meters, but for hours and hours of racing, it, it was a little bit overwhelming for me. And, and I felt like Philadelphia was this perfect, you know, middle ground of getting the crowd support that can be really helpful, but also just not so much that you, you just feel sort of verbally accosted for <laughs> three, four five hours that you're out there.
1: Yeah, it's not a, new, uh, a London marathon where your ears will go numb or in New York. <laughs> uh, London's was really loud this year, um, but it's not that. So you do get that downtime. And then, you know, the back half when runners really need it, which is between mile 23 and 26, we try to have energy back there, but you do get a chance to settle in. And those first five miles, they are flat. I mean, there's some, some great straightaways, you know, small little turns. So you can really kind of open up, open up your stride. Uh, And then you find your groove, but it isn't that deafening. It does feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, You do feel supported. And like I said, if you do have family or loved ones, it's a great race to come to because it's easy for families and even families with children to make it from the start line to mile six, mile seven of the race course, uh, just by walking a a few blocks.
0: Yeah, the, the whole aspect of the course that is so amazing is the fact that it's so friendly to spectators. Because I did have friends and family there with me when I ran the race, and they were able to see me at multiple locations. Where you know you compare that to say the Boston Marathon, and you're you're seeing someone once, and that's about it. Um, now, with the beginning of the race being either flat or slightly downhill. When you think about this course, do you like to segment it into certain chunks and have uh, a different strategy for racing, you know, different parts of the race?
1: So the way that we you segment the race, I would look at the different areas. So you do have the first seven miles that are flat, relatively um, fast, but it's cooler month too. So what, what tends to happen for runners is they forget to hydrate. They forget to hydrate early on. And it can get you in the back end, especially when there are some hills there, the day is starting to warm up. So I always try to tell people, you know, when you're segmenting this down, if you do go into three or four, the first seven miles, you know, it's flat, it's face, make sure that you're taking your hydration in early. Then you get to the next seven miles, you are going to have your elevation gain at that point. Uh, Then you get into the, you know, 15 to 21. And that's when you're really going to feel it. You're going to start to come down. So the quads are going to feel it when you chunk that down, uh, and body fatigue and even posture is going to be important on that piece of it. So that when you get to your last five miles that are in there, it's relatively flat and downhill, but I can tell you there that the slightest little incline can feel like it's forever. And I'm someone who actually likes Hill variations because pancake flat can, to me can become daunting. Uh, but you know, this is a really good race to break down into seven mile segment chunks because of where the elevation hits the flatness of it. But again, the biggest thing I tell everybody on this is make sure you're taking in your hydration early. I know when it's colder temperatures, you don't think about it, but you're going to need it on the back end.
0: I like that seven mile chunk. So the first seven miles flat, a little bit downhill, perhaps it's maybe a good idea to be slightly conservative just so that you're not you going through too much fuel and incurring too much muscle damage too much early. And then that second seven, seven mile segment really has a lot of that elevation gain. Um, and you know, when you're saying, uh, you know, somewhere around mile 15, 18, around there, you know, you're going to be experiencing some fatigue and, and, you know, your quads might be feeling it. I actually experienced like my first pseudo muscle cramping in my quads ever during the Philadelphia marathon. And and thankfully it was something that I somehow willed away and and it didn't, it didn't negatively impact my race, but you know, it happened right where you said it was going to happen. And and that's really funny to me. Um, Is there a particular pace strategy that lends itself well to this course? Because, you know, we, we talk, ad nauseum about how to run the Boston marathon course because of its unique profile. There's a particular strategy that tends to work well for most marathoners. Is there a particular pacing strategy that you think is great for the Philadelphia marathon that runners should think about?
1: I do. And I think you can break it down into those chunks again, because again, you're pretty much pancake flat up until about mile seven. So when you hit eight to 14, you're up, it's kind of up and down, up and down, you know, you might lose some speed. So again, if you think about breaking it down, even into negative type of splits, where go out slower, save it for that hill portion that you know, is. and when I say hill, again, we're talking 100 feet, Um, you know, there's not, it's not this tremendous hilly course, it's just, it's rolling, it's going up, and and you know, when you're going up, but you want to make sure that you're able to get through that comfortably. So if you can ease your mind and think about, okay, this is flat, I'm going to hold back, I'm going to pull back, And I'm gently going to come up. I'm going to make it up my hills. You know, some people are really good at running uphill. Some people are really good at running down. Again, once you're up, you're kind of up there until you hit mile 15. And then it's a pretty, pretty sharp down. You are coming down about the hundred feet coming down. So it will hit you in the quads. But if you can conserve that energy and not really let the lactic acid build up in the legs, then when you get to that back half, um, you're able to really kind of say, okay, I'm now at mile, you know, 21. Um, you know, 16 to 18. um, I I get through my seven, I get through my 14 with the hills from 14 to 21. I'm going to recover from those hills. And then I want to have enough juice in me when I'm coming back that I can start to open up the gas tank. uh, If I need to, I always say, hold back and go faster at the end than go fast in the beginning. And then you can't get it back. Uh, And that's really when, when it gets to you and it's trying to keep that lactic acid out of the body, let the oxygen come into the body as much as possible to make sure that you have that effort that you need for that push at the end. So it does feel hard midway, but it's a lot easier if you can. Again, I like to visualize things in those chunks. So what am I going to do for my first seven? What am I going to do for my next, you know, seven? Because that really takes you down to that. And then it's the last five miles I need to think about, which is pretty flat for this race.
0: Yeah, it does seem like the end of the race lends itself really well to a potential fast finish. Now, if you've paced yourself well, and, and you're feeling up to it, um, because of that, you know, is, in my memory is that it's a slight downhill most of the way down Kelly Drive to the finish. Although if you look at the elevation profile, it's it's a little bit deceiving because it kind of bounces around a little bit. It goes up, it goes down. But it's interesting because I think the scale of the elevation profile is, is so low that those little bumps are a little bit deceiving. Like it's still mostly flat. <laughs> yeah, And, you know, even though you're running on maybe the most tired legs you've ever had in your entire life, you know, those uphills are going to feel a little bit more substantial than they really are. I do think it's a great course to finish fast on. And so if you can get to that point, you know, mile 21 or so, and you've taken care of your hydration, your fueling, you haven't gone too hard in those opening flat miles, and you didn't, you know, burn out too quickly on those those uphills in the second seven-mile segment – you're going to be in a really great position to run fast to the finish line, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, when you go out and you ride this, if you're on a bicycle or a car, you wouldn't even notice this elevation at mile 24, 25, 26. When you're running it, you notice it. So it, it is extremely deceiving because people always look at hills and say, oh, that's a hill. I know because I'm taking my car and it's going up or I'm on a bicycle. Uh, but these hills are sneaky, like you said. And at the end, coming around the art museum, it is is—it's—it is an uphill incline. Uh, it's not, you know pancake flat. But when I say uphill, 23 feet of total elevation gain, maybe on that end, which isn't much. But yeah, when you're riding on tired legs, you can feel it. You can feel that there's that little bit of a differentiator.
0: I, I do remember Kathleen coming around this, the art museum, you know, you're mile like 25 and a half. You're, you're right there. And that hill did seem absolutely enormous at the time. And and I remember thinking to myself, you know, whoever designed this course is sadistic. And I had all these like negative thoughts in my head as one might at mile 25 of a marathon. But do you think it's a valid uh, mindset to have going into the race that, you know, kind of just convincing yourself that the final five miles or so is downhill, telling yourself that those hills are going to seem way bigger than they actually are. And almost getting yourself into this mindset of it's it's net downhill, it's fast. I can do this. Yes,
1: yes. And I think if you get a chance to go out, anybody that goes, uh, there's certain things I like to do. I always like to go to a race and I like to look at the fin- the start line. I like to explore the start line. Okay, what is it going to look like? Where you know where are my paint my pinch points? Or I like to look at the back half and say, okay, I'm going to go walk the back half. Like, what is my finish going to be? And if you have that opportunity at a race, I always tell my athletes, go check it out. Go see, you know, New York, great example. Go run Central Park. Go, you know, the road's open. You can still go. They're closing everything down, but see what it feels like. Take a look at it and just get in your mind. Okay, I know what I'm preparing for. I know what I'm preparing for. And then as easy as you did that, I'm like, you just visualize it. You know, you have one mile to go. Just picture any other training run that you've done with one mile to go. You're gonna get through it. Uh, but it's not gonna matter, even if you're going downhill, you're gonna feel like you're somehow mentally your mind has you going uphill. And on this, you're going uphill. But what happens is I find a lot of people will push harder because they know they're going uphill and don't realize that their pace increased because they've got this standard pace that they're going for the last few miles. There's no hill, but then the uphill comes in. Some people will slow down, but then others are just like, I'm going to finish. And it's that push. And the next thing you know, they look at their last split and they're like, oh my gosh, my last mile split was actually faster because I was going uphill. It's like when you go in the wind, you feel like you're not going anywhere. And then I look at my watch, I'm like, Wow, I actually ran faster, thinking I was going nowhere in the wind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that can actually be one of the best marathon feelings because you know you always think you're you're likely running faster than you really are in a marathon because you know it's a marathon, it's difficult. You're tired, you're experiencing that soreness, but because of the fact that the hills are so deceivingly small, that if you do give a little bit of an extra push, then you're probably going to run even faster because it's not, it's not like we're talking about heartbreak hill where, you know, it is going to slow you down no matter how hard you push. Um, when you think about the course in totality, Kathleen, what do you think is the hardest, the, the physically most demanding aspect of the course?
1: I still think it's the last five miles. I mean, you've come off the hills, your body is done. You know, most people have only trained to mile 22 not many go much farther. So that just becomes a whole mental toughness. I think it's the first part of not going out too fast and really running your race. It's your pace, your race. Can't tell people enough. It's your pace. It's your race. Follow that guideline. Don't get caught up in what everybody else is doing, especially if you're a first timer um, but when it comes down to the, this course, you know, the, the, I think the Hills hit at the right time where, okay, you've done seven, your body's warmed up to take the Hills where sometimes you go on a race and you hit a hill at mile one or two, your body's not warmed up. You're like, Oh my God, this is pain, painful. Right at that mile eight, nine, 10, like you're ready to take on the body's warmed up. The muscles are ready. So I think that seven to 14 span you're prepared for that, but then it's, it's taking care of yourself during that time, making sure that you're, you know, how am I going downhill? Am I not overstriding so that, you know, I slip or uh, I'm pounding too much and I, I tweak something. So it's really, Taking a look and being mindful of your body in that seven. But the hardest part for this is that back half. And it's sometimes last year, it wasn't, it was phenomenal because it's normally a spot on the race course. We don't have a lot of spectators. But because we didn't have any spectators in our runners' festival zone, and because of where the course now goes over a bridge for mile 14, loved ones can see their family at mile nine. Then they try to go across the bridge. They would see them at 14. Then they'd see them again, coming back at mile 23, 22 or 23, 24. So that whole area was just lined with people. So the momentum that was there and the energy that was there was crazy. And I probably expect the same this year, just because the design of the course, some people are just naturally going to go to the back half and want to see loved ones finish. And that's also where, you know, you have your Sherpa friends that show up with something. Cause you know, you have six miles to go and. Somewhere in that span of six miles, you, you know, you might need a little friendly face to see. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's that's a tough part of the race physically. But, you know, I, I also think there's a difference between psychologically demanding parts of a race and physically demanding parts of a race. You know, we, we could definitely make the argument that the last five, six miles of a marathon is both the most physically and psychologically demanding aspect of a marathon You know, but the thing about Philly is that if you go into it knowing that the final five or six miles is a net downhill, you go in there knowing that there's going to be more crowd support in that area, like right when you're really needed. You know, I don't need to be cheered at, you know, mile one of a marathon, but man, at mile twenty-three, that's when I want everyone screaming their heads off. Um, are there any particular areas of this course that you think are psychologically demanding, whether you're just alone and there's not a lot of crowd support or any other reason why it might be mentally difficult to grapple with the Philadelphia Marathon in a particular segment.
1: I would say that when you get into like mile 19 to 20 is through Manioc. So when you go there and then you turn around and you come back, that vibe and the loudness and the crowd for that two mile stretch that is in there is crazy. So when you do come out to mile 22, it's pretty desolate, 22 to 23, where you're really like, oh my gosh, I'm almost done. You get this high vibe energy. It was downhill. Now it's kind of leveled off. So between 22 and 24 is really where you do some soul searching for Philly's marathon. You really have to come in and say, okay, there's nobody really here. It's quiet. It, you know It's along the river. So sometimes it's windy. Sometimes it's not. It depends on how that's going. So you might feel like a headwind come on, um, or it could be sideways, or it's just not that drawn. I think a lot of people struggle with, they've done this, they're on the back end, you get to mile 20, you hear the roar of Manionk and people are out there and it's a big party scene lining the streets. And then all of a sudden there's no one until you get to mile 25 and then you can hear the crowd again and you can start to hear the roar and you're like, okay, I'm getting there. But that's a tough one for a lot of people. It's tough for me when I ran it. I was like, where'd everybody go? Crickets. (laughs) So we try to put people there and I will say what we did different from when you ran is we actually have a group called psychs on bikes and they're sports psychologists that we place on the back half of the course from 14 to 26 that ride along. And if someone looks like they're struggling, they'll just say, Hey, how you doing? What's going on? You know, you know can we help you? So I encourage anybody to keep an eye out because they're out there. They're well-marked in bright green jackets, but there are psychs on bikes to help you get through those last, you know, finishing miles.
0: Wow. What an incredible amenity at a marathon just to have sports psychologists riding next to runners out on the course, giving them whatever kind of of mental support that they might need in the moment. I, I didn't know that that was a thing that you guys did, but my God, I would have loved that back in 2011. I think I did need a little bit of that support around mile 22. I tried to give it to myself because what happened to me was, just like you described the whole mile 20 ish zone in Maniunk was very high energy. I loved it because you know, I, I, I start to get nervous around mile 20 of a marathon because if something's going to start to go south with your body, there's a good chance it's going to happen somewhere around mile 20. That's the kind of cliched classic time period when things start to go wrong. And Manny took my mind off of that. It really gave me energy when you start to feel a little bit low. But then you're right, you turn around and you start going back to the art museum, you've got, you know, roughly 8k to go until you're there. And it got really quiet. And I was like, okay, I need to break out of this funk. So I tried to put in a surge and, and try to run a little faster. Which was a mistake. I, I I ran about five seconds faster that mile than I I was, but it took a lot out of me, and I realized I had nothing left to give except just desperately holding on for dear life, which is probably something that many marathoners are familiar with. Um, but I'm glad that we're talking about the difference in energy levels as you go through the course, because particularly in the last 10k, 12k of a marathon you need certain energy levels. And when it goes from really high to really low, when you need high energy, that's going to certainly potentially be a, a, an obstacle in your path. And I like that. If you go in knowing that, if you go in understanding how things are going to work, you can implement this in your imagery and visualization practice. And that's going to really help on race day with how you're mentally grappling with the psychological demands of racing a marathon. Um, let's talk about the finish line. So you, you get past Manny Yunk, you power through, you're, you rely on the psychs on bikes and the extra crowd support in the final couple miles of the race. I love the finish. It's right in front of the art museum. What do folks have to know about that finish area? Like what happens right as you cross the finish line?
1: So what's unique about Philly is we do have everything gated off. So anybody that at mile 24, that says I'm done, can't get off the course. (laughs) They have to come through the finish line. Like you're kind of like, unless you get taken off by an ambulance, it's barricaded, it's barricaded for safety. Um, so we just tell everybody like, it doesn't matter. You're still going to have to come back through the the finish line area, but you're going to come through that finish line. And then you're going to go right through, you'll get your metal, you'll get your heat sheet into our runners to get your food, your hydration, nutrition, And then you're basically going to be able to exit out to where our vendors are. We do not, we have a runners only zone area. So it's not where family can be. This allows our runners to come through, process what they need to do, get their food, kind of get themselves contained without a lot of people being around and then exit through. They'll pass some of our vendors, our partners, our sponsors out into the runner reunion area, which is out on the oval. So there's two spots this year for spectators. And I will say Something new for us is we are not allowing any spectators into the runner's oval area until 8 a.m. Again, due to COVID restrictions, we just really want this to be a runner's space until the race takes off. Then we'll open it up and we'll allow spectators in two different points of location. Um, one is off on 23rd, 24th Street, which is the best viewing area to see people finish. However, you have to exit that to come back around. Uh, and there's a map there that'll tell you to get back to the pork chop or runner's meetup area. So, you know, a lot of people, th- th- I think the changes this year is n- are nice because we really keep that runner zoned for runners where in the past we had spectators and runners. So the runners would come across and it was really hard to get them through the food nutrition or runners were having a hard time grabbing all their nutrition because people had five people with them. So here's a runner that's one. And then somebody else is a runner that has friends and family. And they all kind of comingled, so we really wanted to make sure that runners were able to get fueled immediately. Uh, it's so important to get those proteins into the body once you're finished a race, uh, start the body the recovery system. But then just the easeability of getting, you know, the flow and the social distancing. So again, you'll come through, you'll finish, you'll get your medal, you'll get your heat sheets. Hopefully, you'll get high fived by Alephine, Bart, Jared, um, Des Linden, and Meb. Did it, you know, a few times. Uh, so that's a great feel. Get your pictures taken. Hydrate and then go meet up with the rest of your family out in the festival area.
0: It seems like a lower stress post race experience. Um, I, I certainly struggled a little bit with the logistics of other big marathons, uh, and, and I just found Philadelphia had such a special way of making the experience low anxiety, low stress, and that really helps you run a good race. It really helps you, you know think positively about your experience when it's over. You know, I, I still think about wandering the streets of New York searching for my family, like after walking for miles on legs that felt like they had been put through a meat grinder. And, you know, that's a big part of what I remember after the race is just being lost in New York City and and not having any water. And it was a terrible experience for me. But Philadelphia was so easy. And, and I think that's part of why I just absolutely love this race and how it's put on is the fact that it, it's like you're really prioritizing the athlete experience at Phil- the Philadelphia Marathon. And, and as a runner, I really appreciate that as a coach. I think it's an amazing race to go after a fast time. So uh, I really like some of the changes that have been made.
1: Yeah. And the gear check for us, and I've done New York where I remember the year they're like, well, you can get a jacket or you can go to gear check. And one was 10 blocks and one was 20. I'm like, I'll take the jacket. I still ha- I have this long jacket that I'll wear for track workouts that was fleece line. But for us, you know, that it's really about the athlete, get them through, get them hydrated and then get them to their gear. So you, know, when you finish, you can look over your shoulder and see where gear check is. Uh, you know, maybe one day we'll get down to a process that you know, Jason will cross the finish line and his bag will be waiting for him at the finish line. You know, (laughs) hey, Jason, great job. Uh, I haven't gotten there yet, but, you know, trying to find different ways. But it is all about the runner and the runner's experience. So I really want to keep that top of mind, safety first and just their experience overall. And then, you know, we want to link them up to their family and have it in a space that is easy to navigate so that people can connect. Again, it's an easy city to move around and say, I'm going to meet you on 21st, 22nd, it's not these massive city blocks that you can't see. It's an open park space. So visually, it's easy to spot family and loved ones as well. And the heating tents are out there that you can go get changed in. If you wish to like pick up your gear, walk right over, you can get changed in a heating tent that steps away.
0: Oh, that's so convenient. And and I'll just speak for a second about the, the spectator-friendly nature of the course. Uh, I had family there. They were able to see me multiple times the year before I raced the Philadelphia marathon. I went as a spectator and I was impressed by my ability to go to all kinds of different mile markers on the course and and see different aspects of the marathon. So it's a really great course for spectators, for runners. Um, yeah, I really love it. I don't really have, you know, any negative things to say about my experience there. And it sounds like over time, things have just been improved, um, Kathleen, have we missed anything? Is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with that will help them better prepare for the Philadelphia Marathon?
1: Yeah, I think you just, you come in, you have an open mind. I will say we do have bike valet, which gets used. People actually will bike to the start line. So again, when we talk about easeability to get to a race, there are people that live in the city, they ride their bike, they valet their bike, then they go run the race, bike home. (laughs) You know, if it's not walking or taking public transportation, but You know, it is about the runner's experience. I really think, you know, we have brand ambassadors, pro ambassadors, um, regular running ambassadors. The whole purpose of this was so that you can see yourself running and have a friend in Philadelphia when you get here. Uh, These runners are just like me, you, anybody else. They run all the different distances and races. But, you know, as long as you look at the race guide. And get there early. Um, we don't want to delay a race because everybody thinks they can really roll out of bed. And I will tell you, last year I don't know what happened, but I think everybody tried to show up 15 minutes before, which delayed the race because they were kind of coming down the middle of the parkway, uh, forgetting how long it does take to actually get through security, then drop your bag off, and use a porta potty, and all of those things. I just want to be mindful of that, uh, and then just come with you know an open mind, open heart, ready to race. To, you know everybody's done their training, so I think. I think they'll have a good time. Enjoy the expo, you know, take in the flavors of Philadelphia too. great food city, food and beverage.
0: Yeah. You got to get yourself a cheesesteak when you're there. Of course. That's it.
1: Hands down. <laughs> no doubt. Lots of foodies. So
0: <laughs> yeah. Cheesesteak after a marathon sounds like an amazing experience. Um, now I'm getting hungry, but Kathleen, thanks for spending some time with us today and just talking about the ins and outs of the Philadelphia marathon experience, the course, you know, all of the athlete amenities both before and afterwards. You know, I I think this race is one of the unsung heroes of American marathons. Uh, I I don't think it gets the credit that it deserves because it's a fast course. It's a runner first type of event and you can really get there and have a good race, have a good time doing it. And you'll really be taken care of. Um, I'm a little biased. My PR is from Philadelphia, but you know, I'm always going to be a fanboy.
1: (laughs) Philly's the city that loves you back. You know, it's a city, it's a race that's produced by the city. It's put on by the city. There aren't many that are still run and managed by the city. Uh, So, you know, we're very proud here in Philadelphia to own and manage this race. So we try to do everything possible to make sure that the athletes, the spectators, the volunteers, the staff, you know, everybody is taken care of and everybody has a great time race weekend.
0: Awesome. Well, Kathleen, good luck with the 2022 Philadelphia Marathon. And anyone listening who's potentially racing the Philadelphia Marathon, Run well, have fun, run fast.
1: Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening, my friends. If you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate a review in Apple Music or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And if you love this podcast, consider supporting our sponsors who help make it possible. Without their support, I couldn't do this. First up is Melon Hats. Quite possibly the best looking, most attractive hats I've ever worn, Melon makes premium hats for both casual use and for running. Get 20% off your first order at melon.com slash strengthrunning with code STRENGTHRUNNING. These hats are durable, water repellent, high quality, incredibly detailed, and super stylish. You can also go check out our latest video on YouTube and you can see my full collection. A melon hat is likely the last hat you'll ever buy. They'll last practically forever. But even if you find that you don't like your melon hat, No worries. You can return it within 30 days with their no questions asked guarantee according to their perfect fit promise. Melon is giving our podcast listeners an exclusive offer of 20% off your first order. Go to melon.com slash strengthrunning and use code strengthrunning for 20% off. If melon doesn't become your new favorite hat, send it back for a full refund. No questions asked. But I bet you're going to love it. Again, that's melon.com. M E L I N.com slash strength running and use code strength running for 20% off. Pick one up and let me know what y'all think. Next, I want to hook you up with some free electrolytes. Our sponsor elemental labs is offering a free gift with your purchase at drinklmntcom slash strength running. You'll get a sample pack with every flavor so you can try them all before deciding what you like best. Right now, I'm on a real watermelon kick, and if that doesn't sound tasty, citrus is my number two favorite flavor. Elemental Labs makes electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, artificial ingredients, or colors. It's surprisingly delicious. Seriously, everyone who I've given it to loves it, and it can be a really helpful way to prevent dehydration, especially if you're training in the heat. If you sometimes feel overly tired, or you get headaches, cramps, or sleeplessness, especially after long runs or workouts where the effort was high, you might have an electrolyte imbalance or a deficiency. Boost your performance and your recovery, especially in the heat with Elemental Labs. They're the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting, and quite a few professional baseball, hockey, and basketball teams are on regular subscriptions so they never run out. Check them out at drinklmnt.com strengthrunning and you'll get your free sample pack gift with a purchase, and you can get your hydration optimized for this upcoming season. Finally, what if I told you you could get 75 high-quality vitamins and minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, prebiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop of greens powder? I bet you'd be excited. I know I sure am. It has a nice mild tropical flavor, and it gives a nice shot of energy without the jitteriness of coffee. AG1 by Athletic Greens is recommended by professional athletes and has over 7,000 positive reviews. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system, and do so conveniently with one scoop of AG1. They're making it easy by giving you a free one-year supply of immune system-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com Jason to pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right. Thanks for listening to the podcast, my friends. Until next time.